Section 29 of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Kinford. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. Mr. Whiting's and Mary Ann. I did not mean to kiss her. It was a pure accident. Her face was close to mine, or my face was close to hers, and then her lips came into contact with my lips, or my lips came into contact with her lips. I don't know which it was. And then at that moment her mother came into the room, and she said, Mr. Whiting, may I ask what is the meaning of this? I said it meant nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Only I found it difficult to explain, and when I did explain, she would not understand. Her manner was not at all the sort of thing I care for. The result is that I am engaged to Marianne Snelling without being conscious of having entertained any intention of the kind. Not that I have a word to say against Marianne, except that I never knew a girl with quite so many relations. To begin with, she had six brothers and five sisters, and she is the eldest of the batch, and there's not one of the brothers whom I feel drawn to. Her father is a most remarkable person, to say the least. After they had arranged between them that I was engaged to Marianne, I was really not allowed to have a voice in the matter. Her father remarked with a pointed air, which I cannot but think under the circumstances was unusual, that he thought it was about time that I did come to the scratch, and that if I had kept on dilly-dallying much longer, he would have had a word to say to me of a kind. I do not know what he meant, and would rather not attempt to imagine. But it is quite plain to me that all the arrangements for my wedding are going to be made by the Snellings. I do not know when it is going to be, but it will be either next week or the week after, certainly at the earliest possible moment, and I shouldn't be at all surprised to learn that all Marianne's things have been already bought, and perhaps some of them marked. We are to live in a house which belongs to a cousin of Mr. Snelling. It is to be furnished by a brother of Mrs. Snelling. The house linen is to be supplied by the father of the young man to whom Jane Matilda is engaged, and the ironmongery by the uncle to whom George Frederick is apprenticed. All, apparently, that is left for me to do is to pay for everything. It is most delightful. It might just as well be someone else's wedding. So unimportant is the part which I am set to play in it. And it is all the result of an accident. I deny that for the last six months I have been using Mr. Snelling's home as if it were a boarding house. Nothing of the kind. The mere suggestion is absurd. It is true that I have dropped in to dinner now and then, or to spend the evening, or for an afternoon call, or for an hour or two in the morning, but that has been simply and solely because the Snelling family have evinced so marked a desire for my society. The alteration which has taken place in their demeanor since my accident with Marianne is, therefore, all the more amazing. For instance, look at their behavior in the matter of the ring. The accident in question occurred upon the Sunday evening. I had been with Marianne to church, and had seen her home, and had had a little supper, and it was after supper that it happened. I did not go and purchase the engagement ring the first thing on the Monday morning. I own it. Certainly not. Nor did I take any steps in that direction during the whole of that week. I was not pressed for time. Besides, 
I was turning things over in my mind, but that was no reason why the Monday week following four of her brothers should have called on me on their way to the office, when I was scarcely out of bed and actually breakfasting, and assailed me in the way in which they did. There was William Henry, John Frank, Ferdinand Augustus, and Stephen Arthur, each of them twice my size, and all of them frightfully ignorant and holy regardless of the sensitive little points of those with whom they came in contact. There is no circumlocution about them. They go straight at what they want, and were scarcely inside my door before they blurted out the purport of their coming. It was Frederick Augustus. If the thing is possible, he is, if anything, more direct even than the rest of his family. Look here, Whiting. How about Marianne's ring? The girl is fretting, but you don't seem to notice it. And as you don't appear to know what is the proper thing to do in a case of this kind, and don't understand that the ring ought to be bought straight away, we've bought it for you. I gasped, positively gasped. Am I to understand that you've purchased my engagement ring? That's it, on your account, from a cousin of ours who's in that line. I never saw people like the Snellings for possessing relatives in all sorts of lines. No matter what you want or do not want, and never will want, they are sure to have some relative who has dealt in it his or her whole life long. They produced the ring and told me what I had to pay for it, a handsome price it was. I was persuaded that somebody besides that cousin got a profit out of Marianne's engagement ring, but I handed over the amount. I did not want any unpleasantness, and I am quite sure there would have been unpleasantness had I demurred. Later in the day I took it with me, when I went to call on Marianne. She appeared to be surprised, almost into speechlessness, when I presented it to her. Her head dropped on my shoulder, and she kissed me under the chin, observing, You dear old Sam! The moments when I am alone with Marianne are alleviations for those more frequent moments when I am not alone with Marianne. Still I noticed that the ring fitted her perfectly, and I could not but wonder if she had tried it on before. At the same time I am beginning to be comforted by a suspicion that Marianne is on my side. On my side, that is, against the rest of her family. There has been a difference of opinion as to where we are to spend our honeymoon. It is from her action in that matter that my suspicion springs. The Snellings have an aunt who lives in an out-of-the-way hole at the other end of nowhere. The woman's name is Brady. There she owns a cottage, or it may be a pigsty, for all I know. When she heard of my engagement with Mary Ann, she wrote and suggested that we should spend our honeymoon in her cottage, or pigsty, and that I should pay her rent for it. The matter was talked about at dinner. Marianne was silent for some time. Then she quietly remarked, Don't trouble yourselves to discuss Aunt Brady's proposal. I shall do nothing of the kind. This observation was followed by perfect silence. The members of the family looked at one another. But after a very considerable pause, her mother said, with quite unusual mildness, Very well, my dear, then it's settled. After dinner, I took advantage of an opportunity which offered to thank Marianne for her action in the matter, because, of course, I had no wish to spend my honeymoon in a place of which I knew nothing to oblige an aunt of whom I knew still less. 
Marianne beamed at me, and she said, You dear old man. Presently she continued, Do you know that in marrying me you are doing the best thing for yourself that you ever did in all your life? I endeavored to explain to her that I felt sure of it, but I fear that my explanation was a little stumbling. But she went on with the most perfect fluency. There were no signs of faltering about her flow of language. You want someone who can look after you, and you could not, by any chance, have chosen a person who will look after you better than I shall. Such an assurance was most satisfactory. We had a long confidential chat on matters of business. I found that as a woman of business, she was beyond all my expectations. I told her exactly what my income was, and the source from which it came, and all about it. She drew up a plan on which we were to lay it out. It was an admirable plan. I had never had one. But I saw clearly that in that way the money would go twice as far. It turned out that she had a little money of her own, about a hundred and thirty pounds a year, and, of course, I had my expectations, and she had hers. It was plain that together we should manage most comfortably, delightfully, in fact. On the subject of wedding presents, too, her ideas were the most lucid I ever encountered. It was wonderful to listen to her, really wonderful. I shall make Papa give me five hundred pounds, at least. A bird in the hand is worth two in a bush, and it will be something to have by us. I quite agreed with her remarks about the bird in the hand, and it certainly would be something to have by us. I know what Mama can afford to give, and I will see that she gives it, and I will see that there is no shirking about the boys, or about the girls either. I will take care that my relations do their duty. I have drawn up a list of all the people who ought to give us a present, and I shall tell them what they ought to give. It won't be my fault if I don't get it. Of course, there are some people with whom you can't be perfectly plain, but I shall be as plain as I can. There's a way and a manner of doing that kind of thing. I have no intention of being presented with an endless collection of duplicates or a lot of useless rubbish which I don't know what to do with. If you take my advice, you will follow on my footsteps. I endeavored to. At least I drew up a list of people who ought to meet the occasion, and I tried in more than one instance to drop a hint of what, as I felt, they ought to meet it with. But I am bound to admit that so far my success has been as nothing compared with hers. Hers has been prodigious. It is certain that we have a large collection of really valuable property about the house, the wedding presents to Marianne. She has a knack of getting people to do what she wishes and to give her what she wants, which is a little short of miraculous. The singular feature about the situation is that people are actually beginning to pity me, to sympathize with me for being about to marry Marianne. I notice that they are generally persons who have already tendered their offerings. The fact of having given Marianne a wedding present seems to fill them with a feeling of rancorous acidity which, to me, is inexplicable. My belief is that they have been induced to spend at least twice as much as they intended, and that they resent it. Such is the selfishness of human nature. But why on that account they should pity me, I altogether fail to understand. We have all been giving Marianne presents, 
and I suppose you, Mr. Whiting, have been giving her something, too. That was what Mrs. McPherson said to me only the other day. I have given Marianne two or three trifles, and I said so. And what, inquired Mrs. McPherson, has Marianne given you? Her love. Someone sniggered. I cannot pretend to explain why, except on the supposition that romance is dead, at least in that circle of society in which the Snellings move. But that is not the only society the world contains. As a matter of fact, Marianne has given me a pair of slippers, worked by her own hands. It is true that they are a trifle large for me, and that I shall never be able to keep them on my feet except when I am sitting still. But Marianne does not seem to think that that matters, so why should I? Her youngest sister, Clara Louisa, has quite gratuitously informed me that she has had them by her for some considerable time, and that, not to put too fine a point on it, they were originally designed for another individual altogether, a Mr. Pillbeam. But even supposing that what Clara Louisa says is true, of which I have no evidence, I have surely cause to congratulate myself on standing literally in Mr. Pillbeam's shoes, even if they are a little spacious. On the whole, I do not know that I regret that accident I had with Marianne. It is true that there are times when I am a little disposed to wish that she were not quite so good a manager. Now and then every man likes to call his soul his own. On the other hand, she is well qualified to protect me from the rest of the family. She will keep them at bay, because it is beginning to dawn on me that single-handedly she is more than a match for them, which is just as well. If she had been like me, they would have rent us limb from limb, as it is, unless I am mistaken, some of the rending will be on our side, and they know it. P.S. The cards are out for the wedding. It is to take place on Tuesday fortnight. We're going for our honeymoon to Italy and the south of France. A second cousin of Marianne's is in the Cook's Tours line. He has given us free passes all the way to the end of our journey and all the way back again, and coupons for free board and lodging at the hotel. It's a wedding present, so that, as Marianne says, our honeymoon need cost us practically nothing, besides which we can always sell the coupons and railway passes which we don't use. Nothing could be more delightful. End of Mr. Whiting's and Marianne Recording by Stephen Kinford, Sharon Township, Ohio